Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast Twitch channel. My name is Michael and we are here tonight, if the internet gods will allow us, for Detention Live. Uh, joining me as always is my regular co-host Chris. Chris, say hello to everyone. Hello everyone. And joining us tonight as a special guest is Jack. Jack, say hello to everyone. Hello. All right. Uh, so just for really quick pretty short who's jack what is it you're currently working on <laughs> yeah so hi um i'm i'm t crusading on twitter um but i'm one half of cobblepath games uh we're a ttrpg studio uh currently we're working on a few things uh the big one is we've just done a zine quest kickstarter for um a one-shot campaign for our horror system that we released in I think it was January, it might have been February. Um, but very recently, we released our Horror System Locus, and we've done a zine quest for a one-shot for it, which we're currently in the process of writing alongside some other stuff. Um, right. That's the sort of forefront thing. Well, we're very happy to have you tonight. Uh, so it is like 2 a.m. where Jack is. So <laughs> did you stay up, or did you like go to sleep and then wake up to be here? I had a couple of hours nap in the evening, partly because I was just knackered for some reason. But uh, yeah, I, I pretty much just stayed up. Very cool. Uh, so we are going to try to power through, even if the stream gets really weird and wonky. We're going to just keep going because these will go up on YouTube eventually and there'll be an audio only. But we're really hopeful that the stream will be good enough. Right? It's still green. It's been green since we went live. So fingers crossed uh, it won't. It, now, as I say that, I'm sure it'll get terrible. Uh, but it does look like we have a few people watching, so thank you for joining. Feel free to jump into chat and say hello, but lurkers are completely welcome. Uh, but it just, it's nice to know if we, we see you there, we'll, we'll try to recognize you as best we can. Uh, so we start the show as we always do with extracurricular, and this is where we just kind of talk a little bit about what we've been up to lately. Uh, you know, it could be a movie that you've watched recently, a new TV show you're into, books, um, health, fitness, just basically anything you want to share. And I'll start with Chris today. Chris, so what have you been up to, buddy? Well, some guy got me playing some tabletop simulator. So now ah. I'm a, a, a touch obsessed with this DC deck builder and Marvel United. I won't point fingers at the guy that's the normal host of the show that got me into those games. But uh been having a lot of fun doing that. I uh, get back with the Boy Scouts. We're doing some... Uh, meetings when the weather's nice because we're outdoors staying 10 feet apart trying to follow all the rules for that uh, oh that just a lot of work not, not a ton else right now <laughs> well that's that sounds like a lot it sounds like quite a lot actually keeps uh, me busy yes um well actually uh jack if you don't mind why don't you go ahead and do yours i got a little message i got to respond to unfortunately so yeah go ahead and uh tell us what you've been up to lately um so the, the biggest thing i guess is that i've recently started playing minecraft for the first time and uh it's pretty good i enjoy it um i've been making lots of stuff i've got a big underground goblin city on our friend's server um like sort of found a big crevasse under the ground and i've built like big stone things in the sides um but see like i'm plugging away the tech top rpg stuff so writing things i've been doing an artwork for one of our um our backers from the locust kickstarter who paid to um, make a monster with us so we've made a monster and i've been drawing that up in the last couple of days which has taken actually a lot of time nice. uh, 
yeah those are sort of like the, the biggest things um sort of a couple of horror movies we've been sort of we, we managed to track down because we like our horror movies and my um the other half of Cobblepath, Steph, is uh, big on at the moment, like trying to hunt down obscure ones. Uh, so we got one called Pulse um, or Cairo, uh, which is like one of the big famous um, thing. I can't remember if it was Korean or if it was Japanese, which is terrible of me. Um, but it's, it's one of the sort of like the famous uh, ones and we finally managed to track it down because they made a an American remake and then they made two sequels to the American remake. Of course. The original doesn't have any sequels, but the, the American remake has sequels. And uh, I, I thought it was a film I'd seen years ago and it wasn't. I'd never seen it. Um, and it, honestly, we weren't particularly impressed. Um, we thought it had a fair few problems it had some really cool scenes like individual scenes in it but overall the kind of like the story was a bit muddled and the characters weren't particularly well fleshed out and it was really weirdly shot in a way that was like genuinely confusing to watch in not in an intentional oh it's a horror film sort of way but in a someone's running down a corridor and suddenly i can't tell where they are sort of way um which was not great but uh the new mystery is what was the film I watched when I was younger because we don't know what it is. We can't figure it out. I have no clue. Um, so at some point we'll have to hunt that down as well. But um, uh, ask yeah, the, ask Twitterverse. You'll probably get a thousand responses and one of them might be right. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. Probably should actually take it to Twitter. Um, see whether anybody knows it. Uh, random. Did, did either of you ever watch the TV show Married with Children? Yes. Yes. Uh, so there's an episode that you just made me think of where Al Bundy has got a little tune in his head for a song and he's trying to track down the song. So he's going to like, he's calling like radio stations, but all he can remember is he goes, ha ha him. And like, that's what he does over and over. And it's clearly not enough to give anyone any idea of what it is. And I think it even, my memory, like, it, it just like, uh, he'll hear the song on the radio, but then they don't ever tell the name of the song. Like it gets keeps getting interrupted or cut off, but just something about you said it's like mm-hmm, him trying to figure out what that is. Maybe came to the top of mind. Uh, so lights are still green. So again, traps are clean. I guess we're, we will continue to push on. Uh, as for myself, I feel like I've I've covered this so much recently because I've been doing all those Patreon exclusive podcasts where I've been catching up with everybody, and like each time I talk about what I've been up to. So I feel like I've already said this like twelve times. Um, so I guess the thing that happened today that I haven't talked about yet is I watched Kong versus Godzilla uh, on HBO Max. It just came out today. Uh, spo- no spoilers to anything. Uh, my review is that it's a grade A nonsense. And whether that's good or bad will depend on your personal uh, predilections of those types of movies. But it absolutely is nonsense, top to bottom, left to right. Um Beyond that, I'm gearing up to go up to Cincinnati again. Uh, I have a doctor's appointment and my son has a doctor's appointment on Friday. And his is like 8 a.m. It's a three-hour drive. So we're actually going to go tomorrow night, spend the night in a hotel, and then do all the hospital, or not hospital, doctor stuff on Friday. Uh, So be out on the road. So hopefully that will go fine. I'm sure the kid will be watching movies in the back the entire time. And then I'm watching YouTube when we're in the hotel. So it'll be like I'm by myself. I'll listen to a bunch of podcasts or something maybe. 
All right. So we're going to move into our first improv game, which is called 10 Things. And this is an improv game where we will take turns prompting one another uh, to try to come up with 10 things that fit the prompt. The idea here is immediacy over accuracy. So coming up with a a list of 10 things Quickly is more important than coming up with a list of 10 things that actually make sense to the prompt. Uh, quickly, shout out to New York Tater. Jumping in the chat. Thank you, New York Tater, for being here. We always appreciate having you. Uh, so, Jack, you're the guest. So you can go first, second, or third in terms of giving someone a prompt or receiving the prompt. I, I'm not exactly sure how that works out. Uh, but where, where would you like to go? I will give a prompt first. All right, so you can choose either Chris or myself, and then we'll go from there and circle back, and then that means you will go last in terms of actually giving the list. So who do you want to prompt, and what is the prompt? So um, I'll I'll prompt you, Mike. Okay. Um, And I want you to give me 10 terrible improvised weapons. Um, A dirty sock. One. Uh, A clean sock. Two. The foot that was in the dirty sock. Three. A goblin. Four. Um, banana. Five. Uh, a hammock. Six. A very large rock that's too heavy to actually hold. Seven. A small rock that's too light to do any damage. Eight. Um, the paladin. <laughs> and um, rose petals. Dead, yay! Those are all very terrible improvised weapons. All right, so Chris, I will then give you your prompt, and then you will complete the circle by giving Jack a prompt. Uh, So, uh, yeah, so we'll we'll stick with movies. Jack was talking a lot about horror movies. So, Chris, give me ten horror movies that you like. Ooh, uh, the original Friday the Thirteenth. One. Uh, The Exorcist. Two. Uh, The Exorcist three. Three. Uh, two. Wasn't good. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Four. Um, oh, Phantasm. Five. Yes. Uh, what well, wasn't supposed to be uh, Critters. Six. Uh, oh, uh, Sorority House Slasher. Seven. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Eight. That's a good classic one. Uh, we'll go with uh, Gremlins. Nine supposed to be and uh we'll go with my graduation videotape 10 <laughs> ah those in fact 10 things excellent all right chris uh you will prompt jack please all right jack uh how about uh 10 games that you'd like to play i'd like to play oh no um okay newest hitman hitman 3 um i haven't got that yet uh montan rise because i haven't got that yet um Super Mario 3D World because I never got the chance to get it. Three. Uh, the next unreleased Metroid Prime because I've been waiting for that for years. Four. Um, <sighs> Hollow Knight Silk Song again, not released yet, but really can't wait for it. Five. Um, <laughs> play most of the games I want to play. What else? The new DLC for The Outer Worlds. Six. Um, technically not a game, it's fine. Um, I would like to play um, Breath of the Wild 2. Seven. Seven. And that comes out. Um, and uh, oh, that, that was a, there was a glimmer of something there. What was it? Nope. Um, 
still waiting to get the chance to play Evil Genius. Hey. Never played it. Um, and <sighs> or in Blind Forest Two. Nine. Um, Nine. And finally, something else. Um, I guess Resident Evil Seven ish, maybe. Yay! That effect was ten things. Excellent. Well, thank you for playing our little reindeer games. There'll be more later for those of you sticking around for the back half of the show. All right. So now we're going to move into what we call used books, and this is usually, usually the biggest portion of the show, kind of the meat and potatoes, like as I like to say. And this is where we're going to talk about a previous game or campaign that we either played in or ran. And the idea is that we're trying to mine this experience for things that either went really well that we have tried to bring into future games or maybe something that didn't go so well and we have learned to avoid it for future games. Uh, Jack, you once again are the guest. Do you have a campaign or a game or something you can talk about tonight? Uh, Yes. So um, the one that I think I'll bring up is our technically still ongoing but under hiatus because of lockdown um scion first edition game okay which is about five years old um five six years i think we've been doing it about six years now um and there's quite a lot sort of in there but the thing that i sort of thought would be an interesting sort of thing to discuss because it's come up a fair amount especially with my character um of balancing characters role play like the the role play of what a character would do um with what that how that affects the the table and the players and the game in general um because there's a there's a lot of sort of talk about it and i think the the typical take on it is it's what my character would do is a shit excuse (laughs) sorry it's a bad excuse um and I think that a lot of the time it is, but it kind of depends on the game you're playing. Because with our Scion game, there's a lot more, a lot more of the core of the actual roleplay game we're playing is kind of about the character dynamics of the party clashing against each other and pulling multiple allegiances sort of thing. Um, so the idea of characters sort of like standing up for what they think they need to do and like being um sort of like going against the main party for things is something that is a lot more ingrained in the story we have decided to tell as a group and the sort of setup of the world and the concept of the role play in a way that it doesn't for your sort of more traditional party-based dungeon crawly kind of um things where yeah, if your rogue's going to just rob everyone blind and leave, it kind of doesn't work anymore. I mean, granted, if one of the characters did that in our game, it probably wouldn't work anymore either. He'd probably get kicked out of the group. But right. uh, we, we've had points where um, characters have been at odds with each other quite strongly. Um, my character in particular is the... He has the strongest moral compass of the party. <laughs> So there's been a lot of points where he has kind of either refused to do something or tried to stop the party from doing stuff um, and has been at odds with them. It's never kind of ended up in a full-on brawl, which is good because it probably wouldn't end well. Um, But it's, it's, 
I thought it was kind of interesting because there's been a, a little bit of a balance with it as well because my my character has ended up being a bit of a force of personality and he's very much about he wants to be friends with people um and I should probably actually cover what the, the the actual setting of the game is for people who don't know because um people might know scion because it recently was on kickstarter for the second edition um but it's quite a different game as i understand it but um basically the idea is we're all children of gods and they are the the sort of real world pantheons of gods so you pick a pantheon and then you're a child of a specific god and then you start as a hero who's like a just slightly better than human with a couple of powers sort of person. You um, advance up through demigod and eventually ascend to be a god in your own right. Um, and we've, we're all gods now in the, in the group, but we've done the whole kind of journey from being heroes up through gods. And um, there's been a lot of kind of like gray area who are the bad guys who are the good guys like are the gods the good guys are these guys the bad guys are titans actually bad guys and there's been a lot of kind of like especially with diff with the different pantheons because my character's from the celtic pantheon um the twilight on okay. um, but we've got people from the egyptian pantheon and they don't get on because they have very different worldviews yeah <laughs> um yeah and then we got like some north uh, norse character and we've got a um someone from the food one um thing we've got a greek scion um and my character and like in the celtic pantheon there's a lot more what are, what are called titan spawn which are kind of like your traditional monsters um they're basically the children of titans but on mass in a lot of pantheons they are essentially just bad guys the celtic pantheon has a lot more of the sort of like hey we just they're just kind of like other people that we live with like trolls aren't necessarily evil they're just another group of people down the road um okay. so my character's been a lot more kind of like immediately welcoming but he's also like generally doesn't want to kill people he wants to give people chances so he he's ended up with a lot of fights where the party's like we have to kill this person because they're really bad and they're really dangerous and he's been like could we not like maybe we can convince them to be friends it will be fine um and then he'll try it and it won't work <laughs> well sometimes it does um there's a lot of people that begrudgingly like him i think uh, like a lot of characters who have ended up kind of like being like, yeah, all right, fine. I guess we're technically on the same side. I don't like that. I don't hate you. <laughs> um, but there's been a lot of that kind of balance. And there's been a lot of, there's also been a lot of points where I've been very aware that I'm hogging table time because my character's insisting on doing stuff where like the rest of the characters are kind of like, we're just ready to go and fight. And my character's like, no, I must talk these people around. I must. And that's something that I try to stop. Like I try to stop my character taking up so much time when it's just my character taking up time. Um, 
but the nature of how the game works means that there's a lot of individual characters not just mine like nearly everybody has individual stuff that we're doing because we're all gods and like we all have our own pantheons and our own parents and our own allegiances and a lot of the role play ends up being us chatting with the people that only really matter to our character mm-hmm. um, or okay. specifically to do with our character because I mean, I think now technically we're all from completely different pantheons because my character ended up kind of like side shuffling into the British pantheon rather than the Celtic. So like he he's actually King Arthur now. Um, it was a thing. It's a whole thing. But he's like in charge of the the British stuff now. And his brother, who's one of the other members of the party, brother, um, is still full-on Celtic, so he's in the Irish bit. And I'm in the British bit, and they're connected. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on that only really applies to one of us. Right. Things, so. All right. Well, I think yeah. there's, there's two main topics there that I think would be fun to explore a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, one is the, the obvious, uh, you know, if you have a game where pvp whether it's role play or actual combat is kind of part of the game how do you navigate that so that everyone's still having fun and no one gets their feelings hurt and then the other thing that you kind of touched on was like spotlight sharing where Mm -hmm. you have you have one character who just by nature of the campaign or maybe a particular session or maybe a two or three sessions in a row is sort of getting more spotlight than the others yeah, but the player themselves isn't necessarily doing anything wrong. But how do you still manage that when you have an ensemble cast? Uh, because you know, yeah. uh, you know, games like this aren't movies; they're not novels, uh, where you can serve that easier when you have other people who are just there waiting for their turn to do stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll start with you, Chris. Do you have any thoughts on either or both of those topics? Either some experiences you've had, or just some advice you would offer? I've played a character similar to that, kind of the face of the party, actually play a lot of them because that's one of my favorite roles the biggest trick i've learned is your character has to find a way to pull the other characters into the scene when you're trying to negotiate and you have to kind of learn how all right are we going to negotiate with an iron fist this time okay barbarian you're up front with me look intimidating and whenever i say you know thunder stomp your foot or you know whatever for example or are we going to go more of the quiet you know maybe seductive way where you bring you know the pretty character that michael's probably playing to the table and have him you know use his smooth charm and try to talk you know help you talk your way through it type thing and that can be a trick tricky thing if the other players aren't used to doing that Uh, as far as the player versus player you know as long as everybody's game for it have fun i've done that i mean there are whole systems that are designed to kind of compete for the spotlight and compete for a little bit of PVP. If that's what your table's having fun doing, go for it. But definitely do, you know, Michael's favorite thing, session zero, and make sure that uh, everybody's cool with it. Yeah, I think that's the thing that's, that's it's, it's easy to say that, and it is because we say it all the time, you know, you have a session zero. And you explain all that, but I, I think when you're dealing with people, what can happen is, the DM or the players get together and you say, hey, I'm thinking about playing this particular game or this particular type of game, and there's going to be more likely moments of conflict within the party. 
is everyone cool with it? And everyone's like, yeah, that sounds cool. That'll be fun. And then when you actually get in those moments, someone gets their feelings hurt. Someone gets upset because, you know, they they signed up for PvP, but they didn't sign up to lose when it came time to PvP. That right. the dice don't fall in their favor or whatever the case may be, depending on the game you're playing, then it still kind of sucks. It still kind of feels bad. You know, it's like it's still going to feel something. So how do you, you know, I think setting up for success is key with, again, the session zero, ding, everyone take a drink, where you explain how the game will work. But I also think that's where you either need safety tools or just like check-ins. Like, so that was pretty intense, Jack. You know, your character just got beat up on, you know, role-play-wise, four other characters tried to talk you down and shout you down. And, you know, we all were in it. It was exciting and dramatic. And it was great for like a, you know, us as an audience. But let's take a couple minutes here. Everyone calm down. Let's go get some snacks. And let's make sure that we're all in the right frame of mind before we move on. Because, you know, to use like a movie parable or, or metaphor or whatever example, like a scene, the big, the big dramatic scene in the movie where everybody kind of fights against each other, that might be like a week of shooting. You know, in the movie theater, it's going to take five, ten minutes. But people are going to have weeks to prepare for that particular moment. They're going to have time to recover after that moment. You know, it, it's it's not the same, even though it might feel the same because it's performative. And in your head, you're like, oh, we're recreating a scene from a TV show or recreating a scene from a movie. But I think in those movies, you can distance yourself from those emotions. And also these, you know, are trained actors. They probably are better at it than those of us who do this as a hobby. <laughs> so I would suggest advise, again, setting yourself up for success, but then also you know, stopping when you need to, doing check-ins when you need to, and just make sure that everyone is having fun. Because I don't particularly enjoy those types of games, but I see their value for the right game, for the right group. You're going to get more dramatic role play, maybe some, you know, more emotional investment and, and reward from playing those types of games versus saying, okay, everyone has to be friends all the time, like I normally do, like in my D&D games. So I'm missing out on the opportunity for some great role play, but I'm also missing out on the opportunity for someone to go home and get upset and, you know, it causes <laughs> a fracture of the group. Uh, spotlight sharing, I think, you know, I think that's player's maturity plays a big part of that and, and the recognition that, hey, I realize I have been spotlighting for a while. And to Chris's point, like, how can I bring other people in? And one of the things that I have found I like to do is I like to set other people up and uh, in particular, there was an example. I got to play at a one shot at a convention once with someone who was a fan of the show, really liked, you know, basically kind of wanted me to play in a game with them and their kids. I said, sure. And they were not quite as, ex not as excited about it, but they weren't quite as extroverted as I was in the game. And I was playing a bard. So the way I worked that out is I basically forced us to go into a story where everything revolved around me giving a performance. Like, and I don't remember all the details, but basically the, the game hinged on me having this great performance to like make someone in the crowd, you know, be happy. And then once we set up all the stakes, my character left. And so the other characters had to fill in for the performance. So each of them were like... I I guess my character can juggle and I, I guess my character could tell jokes. And so it, it very much pushed them into the scene where they had to then do everything they were setting my character up to do. And then I showed up at the end and, you know, kind of right back around. So that's just a way of saying like, how can I still do my character, but push someone else into the spotlight? 
that they want to be. And I mean, I never want someone to feel uncomfortable. And I think in this case, it worked out very well, but I could see how it could backfire. Uh, so, Jack, so you kind of started things off. So are there any particular lessons learned that you did that like, yes, that helped or I wish now we would have done that to help either of those issues you talked about? Um, well, I mean, one thing is, I think, um, for, for one, I'm really glad that it's a role play between a group of friends that already know each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, like over the it wasn't a stranger's game. Um, so that that makes a massive change in like how approachable and how applicable that kind of role play is and how easy it is to set up. But um, I think part of it was also just I'm really glad that the way we we've never done the PvP with the understanding that anyone's going to die. Um, and I think we've only really had like maybe one actual fight between two characters that was serious and even then it was one character who was screaming for another one to to attack them and the other one wasn't um, it, it was yeah so we've never actually done the full-on pvp which is a thing that i'm not hugely excited about myself anyway i think a lot very few systems are set up to actually accommodate it well um and nobody wants to lose a character from that unless it's like the culmination of a lot of stuff and it's the kind of game you're playing but i think most of it's about understanding the kind of game you're playing um understand what it is that the group is like the group dynamic is understand the kind of story that's being told by your session and also i mean this is this is the designer in me coming out but also understand the kind of like limitations and um core game styles of the system you're playing because for example like you say you want everybody to be friends in dnd i would completely agree i don't think dnd works very well the the mechanic setup it has really really benefits from having a party that is all on the same team and is setting out for a goal um it works really well when you do that and it kind of doesn't work particularly well when you do something else um it's just not really built to make to do that and that's fine because every game is going to be built for different stuff um but i think there's a lot to be gained from understanding what it is that the game you're playing is built to do um and sort of what the setting works with things as well so yeah <laughs> slightly rambly lessons i guess no 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 worries uh one yeah. thing i one thing i wanted to touch on um <laughs> you just mentioned about how this is a game between friends and i completely agree with that but there is also a cautionary tale and i believe i've told this story before but it might have been years ago but early on in my relationship with my wife when we were just started dating we went to this church lock-in and I don't know if either of you are familiar. These basically that's where you it's like a church youth group, but you go to a place and they literally you you have to stay up for 24 hours and they, you know, you do activities, but they, they constantly mix in, you know, religious teachings and that kind of stuff. Um so my wife and I, again, girlfriend at the time, we thought it would be hilarious if we pretended like we were fighting all night so that all the other people in our age group would 
see us like bicker with each other and fight with each other. I don't know why. It's looking back on it is one of the dumbest things I've ever done. I have no idea why I even thought it would be funny, but we both thought it would be hilarious. So we were fake fighting all night, but because we were dating, we started bringing up things that kind of did bug us a little bit. And so some of our fake fighting got really intense and we both, I mean, you could see it from a mile away. We both got really upset over our fake fights because we were bringing up things that really were true in the relationship. We weren't like making up like you don't like grape Kool-Aid. It was more like, how come you think this other person is as important as me? Or how come you didn't do X when I wanted you to do that the other day and you decided to do Y? Uh, so even though there's a comfort and a camaraderie that comes with being friends, there is the danger of you actually know what buttons to push if you actually want to make someone upset. And so that would just be my cautionary tale with, okay, you know, at least with a group of strangers, all the insults and the barbs are going to be generic. But if you're friends, I can really make you upset if I really want to. So just something to keep in mind for those listening, that just because you're playing with a group of friends, that could, in fact, make things worse if you're not <laughs> mature and careful about it. Uh, circle back to Chris. Any other thing else that you would want to bring up about either of those? Uh, no, I, I think you really hit it on the head with that last statement, which is where I was going with it is just make sure that everything stays in between the characters and not in between the players. Yeah. I've had some great role-playing moments where the characters are yelling at each other. And I've literally had game masters go, stop. And we're like, what? This is getting too intense. And we're both break out of character and we're just smiling. We're like, that's where we wanted to go. Yeah. And the game master's like, oh, sorry, I'll shut up. We're like, no, no, that's good. Like, if you're making you feel uncomfortable, then it's fine to take a break. Um, those were some of my favorite times role-playing, but that's my play style. I right. don't want to have to roll dice and Plus, you tell me I have to. Yeah, I, I actively try, try to, to avoid you it. not to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it, it just yeah. kind of thinking of a big picture. That's a way to get more intense and more regular role play. Because in a, again, I'm going to use D&D just because it's what I play the most of. In that game, the majority of the truly intense interactions are going to be between a player or players and an NPC. You know, it's the villain who came into the village and you know, slaughtered everyone or took everyone captive, or it's the the political rival who manipulated things so that their candidate won or they usurped the throne. And so, you know, the players come to hate that NPC, the bad guy, the bad girl, they want to bring them down. But when you allow for inter-party conflict, you can get the players doing that level of emotional play with each other. So it's more likely to happen. You have a lot more opportunities for that to happen because you have all the players with an opportunity to do that. I just, so, so the, the reward plateau is very high. I just think that the risk is high as well, that it could collapse. You get hurt feelings, the group falls apart, friendships are ending, you know, and not to make it, you know, over melodramatic, but as a younger player, you know, again, my teenage year, my college years, I can absolutely believe that friendships probably could have ended over a bad session. I think now, just knowing more about how, being more mellow, I guess, in my old age, like, again, I would never play fight with my wife in front of people for fun. It's just not something I would do. I like to think that we could do that and be protected, but just, so I guess a cautionary tale to those of you out there who might be listening, who are younger not necessarily in age but maybe an experience within the games these emotions can be very real and that's for me 
one of the reasons why I like to play the game. There's, you know, there's people who play these games, quote unquote, beer and pretzel, where you get together, it's all high level. You basically just want to kill monsters, take their stuff, go fight tougher monsters, take their stuff, you know, ad nauseum. And that is a perfectly valid way to play. And if that's the way you like to play it, I'm happy that you are doing that. But if you're the type of group that does get more involved in the role play, those emotions can be very real. And, you know, just like when you watch a TV show for six or seven seasons and you get emotional when the characters get emotional, like the will they won't them, they finally get together. Or when you finally, you know, the heel turn and they get they get to get revenge on the person who betrayed them. If you get emotionally invested in those stories, you absolutely are going to get emotionally invested in this game that you play with your friends for hours, you know, every week or whatever. And don't think that that you those emotions aren't real and aren't valid. So just be watch out for each other. Make sure everyone is still in the having fun side. Even if fun is in the moment, feeling sad or feeling angry, feeling betrayed, just, you know, build in some uh, time to, like, make sure everyone's okay before you move on. Um, there's a thing I had to do when I was training, when I was in security. Anytime we had a physical altercation with a suspect, we all like we had a process we had to go through where we literally had like a cool down period where we would make make sure everyone's okay because people again I'm going way off topic here but there's the people that have been stabbed and they don't even realize they've been stabbed because of adrenaline so you know you because I dealt with shoplifters so you have a shoplifter maybe ends up you know have to handcuff someone please show up whatever we would literally go around the room and go Chris are you okay and you had to like check your body yes I'm okay. And then you would say, Jack, are you okay? Jack would like, okay, you know, I'm not bleeding. No arms are broken. Okay, yes, I'm okay. Because you may not think that you're upset or you're not think that you're hurt for a few minutes until that adrenaline comes down. So that's a really weird weird place to take that. I'm sorry. But (laughs) the point is, watch out for each other. If you're playing the game together, I assume you're friends or on friendly terms. So let's make sure we end the game the same way we start the game. Uh, any final words, Jack? Thank you. That's that's a great topic. I'm glad you brought both of those. But anything else you want to say before we move on? No, completely, completely agree. Um, understand the ramifications and use your safety tools. Basically, like understand where it can go. Use the use the safety tools. Be aware before you make that choice. Yeah, absolutely, I completely agree. All right. So now we're going to move into everyone's favorite part of the show, where we make complete asses of ourselves. Uh, <laughs> New York Trader, I am okay. Thank you for asking. Uh, this is called Where Have My Fingers Been? And this is an improv game where we will once again prompt each other in turn, this time to create a short scene between two, maybe more people, if you want to be Scott, bring in the third, finger puppets. So it'll be, uh, you know, your your fingers have been X, and then we will create a little scene where we'll act them out. Uh Ideally, they'll have a beginning, middle, and end. I usually skip at least one of those myself. Uh, but Jack, once again, you are the guest. So, would you like to go first, second, or third in terms of the the game here? I will go second in terms of doing oh, things. Okay, so um, uh, so um, I will either prompt Chris first, or Chris will prompt me, and then you'll you'll be the the meat in the sandwich here. All right, so Chris, <laughs> would you like to go first in terms of prompting or doing the 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 act? Uh, I'll go first with the act. All right. I'll prompt Fire you. You'll away. prompt Jack. Jack will finish up prompting me. Okay, Chris, go ahead and sing the song because you have to sing the song. <laughs> uh, where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Your fingers have been 
Uh, wow. I'm trying to think of what we talked about. Your fingers have been at a youth youth group lock-in where two people are clearly fake fighting and you have not fallen for it. Oh my gosh. Can you believe that they're still fighting? It's been it's been hours. I mean, we could we could just pray for them. I have been. It doesn't seem to be working. Maybe if we pray together, we have been. Haven't you been paying attention? No, I've, I've been watching them and hoping that they get things better. Maybe you should pray harder. But, but I don't know if I can. Yes, you can. Let's try. And that's where my fingers have been. <laughs> <laughs> you took that way more this. sincere. You actually cared about these people. Thank you. I appreciate I feel loved. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So you will then prompt Jack. And then again, Jack will finish circle with me. All right, Jack. I think I got one that might be up your alley. Uh, your fingers are watching a horror film. All right. Well, first, you got to sing the song, though. It's very important. Oh, my mistake. Yeah. Jeez. Um, where have my fingers been? Where have my fingers been? All right. Your fingers are watching a horror film. I'm scared. Really? Really? Yeah. People with knives scare me. Why? Because they can stab you. With the knife. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, that, that does make sense. Um, I would not want to be stabbed with a knife. Look, the man with the knife's coming. Like, yeah, okay. And it's scaring me. That's, that's really nice. I'm not scared by the man with the knife. Would If there was a man with a knife in real life here, I'd probably be scared. But not not right now. But, but what if they took the knife and they stabbed you with it? Well, I guess that's a little bit scary. And, and, then, and then you'd bleed everywhere and you'd fall on the floor screaming. It'd be really painful. And yeah, okay, you can, you can shut up now. And, and then... And then, like, imagine how much of a mess it would be for me to clean up afterwards. I mean, it's probably not. Look, shut up, shut up. But I don't. I don't know. Actually, maybe it'd be quite funny watching you bleed. But what? <laughs> what? No, I, I just meant, like, as a thought. You know, like in real life, it'd be horrible. But uh, okay, okay, I'm. I'm not enjoying the horror movie anymore. Can we turn the horror movie, please? No, I'm not scared anymore. It's fine. <laughs> and that's where your fingers have been. Excellent. You you really took me on a ride there. It's like a bit of a roller coaster of emotion. All it's right, a twist there. All right, Jack. So, where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Your fingers have just discovered that their front door is a mimic. Mm. Ah! you know that actually was funny i mean like as a thought it was kind of funny i'm sure it was actually horrible to him who just died by getting eaten by the door but it was actually kind of funny i'm not dead yet oh gosh i will save you Ah, just kidding. I'm now a mimic too. Uh. And that's where my fingers 
died? I get. I don't know. <laughs> Yay. Yay! All right, New York Tater, I hope that was worth the wait, but I seriously doubt that it was. Okay, so now we're going to move into cryptozoology, and this is where we're going to take a look at a monster, usually D&D, but not always, and tonight is one of those not always. And the idea is we're going to talk a little bit about the monster, the way, like, the lore around it, or how it could be used, ways we have used them in the past, and we'll brainstorm some ways that maybe we could use this monster in the future. Uh, Jack, once again, you are the guest, and you have a kind of a unusual, perhaps, asterisk uh, monster for us to talk about. So why don't you introduce us to the concept here, kind of explain how it works, and then we will see if we can come up with some ways that we could use this monster. So, um, Tad, Tad's sort of like self-indulgent. Um, I've decided that we're going to talk about um, a Malus Locus. So a Malus Locus is the, the central entity from our horror game, Locus. Um, the idea is, essentially, it's literally it means bad place and the idea is that um there is a thing called a genius loci which is a i believe a latin word for a greek an ancient greek concept of a spirit of the place um in ancient greek they're very much a distinct entity with a personality and things in our one they're more kind of like just an understanding that a place has a personality so like certain churches might have a personality or like certain people's gardens you might sort of like consider as being particularly serene or nice certain woods might have a sort of like very kind of like protective comfortable feeling and others might have a kind of like spooky foreboding feeling and the, the community kind of agrees on that kind of feeling to a place um, and that's what we call the genius loci a malus locus is when something terrible happens to one of these genius loci and it goes bad. Um, and that's the kind of central theme with locus as a horror game, um, where you're stuck in one of these places and it is assaulting you with all of this horrible stuff with the things that your character has done. And it's a very personal horror thing. But just in general, I thought it would be interesting to kind of bring the idea of what if the place was the monster? Um, what, how do you use that in role plays? Because we've obviously designed an entire system around it um, with a bunch of different things in it, but in a sort of like wider role play setting, it's it's not a completely foreign trope to stuff. Like it's relatively common in horror, but you know, there's plenty of fantasy things where places are entities. Um, so I thought that could be quite a fun one to kind of like discuss how you would go about kind of implementing that in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so just very quickly, New York Tater has to jump off. I completely understand. Get back to work. Thank you so much for what you do. Uh, yes, I've got my second vaccine shot, so I'm roughly 13 days away from being as least as vaccinated and as protected as I can be. But I'm going to continue to mask and wash hands and social distance until, you know, we're on the other side of this. Uh, so, so, again, I haven't played, obviously, your game but i am also familiar through stories media and also other role-playing games of the idea of a place being bad and you know i think the easiest is think of like a poltergeist uh you know maybe a grisly crime murder was happened in, like in an old house in the old house not only is it just haunted but the house itself has turned to evil but in like media and in the games this will generally manifest with the house working against you so maybe doors lock behind you uh windows won't open maybe a stairway that's supposed to leave one place leads you to some other place that's you know more dangerous uh you know you're gonna find uh, you know uh like 
kitchen knives fall out of the drawer or the blades are turned towards you so the characters cut themselves. So is that the sort of stuff that might happen in your game's version of A Bad Place where there's still things that are true to the world? So there's a, there's a house, but the house works against you. So again, so doors might close, maybe close on you your hand so you get injured that way. So how would it manifest to actually like hurt either psychologically so, or physically a character in your game? Kind of yes and no. So um, to get into, and this is, spoiler alert, this is kind of like director's guide stuff. So this is kind of like mostly in the director's thing, but I'll try and keep it non-specific. Sure. Um, so as not to ruin the game for players. Um, you have, um, they kind of have layers of reality. So in the first layer, it is just reality. Um, and then underneath that is a very similar to reality layer where you're basically in the locus and it has some powers. So things aren't quite right. Um, people who are there can't communicate properly is a big one. Um, and as you go deeper, the, the sort of the geography becomes more unreal and things become a lot nastier. And we don't actually have um, it kind of depends on the locus because part of the way locus is built as a game itself is that you, because it's built to be personal horror, most of the elements are kind of made by the director. Um, but the primary way that a locus in our game, at least, um, aims to harm people is it kind of passively manifests monsters based on their haunts. So monsters are created based on the characters and then they will stalk the characters. Um, but it does kind of like, it confuses and it scares and it's its initial kind of interest is as, as far as it doesn't, in our, in, in Locus, they aren't sentient. They're more forces of being. So they don't think and act with purpose as much as they instinctually respond. But what they kind of are aiming to do is terrify people and then kill them later when they're terrified. So they kind of build that fear, which is because that's kind of what you as the director want to do as well. And you're not playing as the malice locust, but it, it helps the game pace. Um, but kind of like, yeah, like all of that sort of stuff with sort of like objects moving and doors closing behind and things not going where you're planning on going these are all things that locuses very frequently will do um and there's also we, we struggled a little bit to plan that in a couple of times as well where it can be quite difficult to have characters going places and not end up where they want to and have that not just feel really cheap um, as a DM um, and also it requires you to have a um, some sort of way to explain the space first because if they go up a set of stairs and they end up in a, um, like and they end up in say a kitchen their initial response is probably just going to be oh that's weird this house has a has an upstairs kitchen rather than oh these stairs did not take me where they're supposed to Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to pre 
build that in and make sure that you somehow prime them with an understanding of the space so you can start mixing stuff around and a lot of the time in locus that's because they've had the chance to explore the space in the earlier layers where it's not all messed up and then later on they see it messed up as the game advances but there are other ways to do that as well so okay so again i'll go to, to chris um so based on what jack was saying or just sort of like similar instances because i think like i know you play a lot of star wars i can imagine there being like a sith temple or something that maybe you know the characters might visit that has some similar haunting-esque trappings around it um so any any experience with using this sort of location as monster or this sort of overbearing ominous environment uh, a couple not so much in star wars um I can't remember the name of it. It's an old module that I ran a couple times that the idea is it's your party's going into a dungeon, but the dungeon's alive. So the rooms don't work the way they should. They kind of swirl around. And the idea is that the players are supposed to feel lost in this dungeon. That's actually slowly trying to eat them was the concept of it. So every time they enter a new room, you'd have them roll a different saving throw to see what would happen. So maybe they'd go a little insane or, you know, maybe they'd lose some hit points or, you know, maybe some of their armor would get, you know, messed up, that kind of stuff. That was neat. It was a really neat concept, but there was just to me too much dice rolling mm-hmm. in that one. The other one that sticks out for me, and it's it's a pretty big location, was the old D&D Ravenloft. Because mm-hmm. if you really read that, the whole world down there gave more abilities to the undead and took some of yours away. The different mists would move you around to different places and trying to figure out what was causing all that was kind of the root and the idea of that whole area. Of course, then that exploded as they wrote more stories and more modules for it. But the original was really trying to figure out what was causing all that. The other one that popped in my head was the different levels of hell because how you kind of described as they Mm -hmm. enter things get worse and worse. And I've never played that, but I've always been interested in, the concept of things getting worse and worse as you go down, you know, the different levels of hell, so to speak, or whatever you want to call it. It doesn't have to be hell. It could be something else. Right. Yeah. Those are kind of my initial thoughts as you were describing things. The the two things that sort of popped into my head. And again, uh, I'm I'm thinking these in terms of D and D and I know that's not exactly what we're going for, but I think hopefully that'll help maybe get a conversation going Um, is if I'm going to present this type of environmental uh, trap or whatever against the players, there's two general avenues that we're going to take. One is that the players are now trapped there and they need to escape. And so the the challenge of the players is how do we get out of here when the stairs don't take us where we thought we need to go or the doors don't open on the rooms that were initially behind us? Or two, there's a way to solve this. Uh, again, think of the, the haunted house. If you find the bones of the murdered victim, uh, thinking like supernatural TV show, if I salt and burn the bones, the curse has been lifted. If I, you know, maybe it's a spirit that was murdered. And if I realize, oh, this is the murderer, then the the victim will feel some sense of relief and let me out so that I can go like, you know, convict them or whatever. I can bring evidence to, to against the person who's actually behind it. Or maybe there's some sort of high-level spell, like I can consecrate this area to to vanish the demon, demonic spirit. So looking at it from your game, because again, I don't know, 
is that what the players are going to try to do? Is it a matter of we can solve this or we can pacify this or is it just we need to survive this? It's both. Okay. So, um, so uh, all the campaigns we've written for it, um, which are many more than we've released because we ran it for several years, um, but also just in general in the director's guide when we're talking about how to make your game, um, basically one of the things that we suggest you do is figure out your potential endings um, and at least one way for the players to get to that ending. Um, and we also encourage like, hey, if they come up with a sensible sort of like idea of how to achieve this, uh, like let them do it. It's not, you, you haven't hard coded that one way to do it, but like have some idea of how it can happen. Um, but yeah, like, so typically you have um, stagnation, which is essentially not something that would happen to character, to players. It's, it's what happens if they stay in it too long and they just never leave. Um, this, yeah, like it's it's a in universe that's what can happen, but a party's never really gonna get that ending because that suggests that you've been playing for months and just not done it, and no one's having fun at that point. Right. Um, escape, which is you get out, you figure out a way to get out, and you get out. Um, resolution, which is you fix the problem, or destruction, which is you destroy the big monster that represents the Malus Locus's own haunt and you destroy it. Um, and that's really hard to do. It's also generally not a good thing, but it, it, it can be done. Um, and it's, it's sort of like an end, like it's uh, sort of cathartic, big blowout, bad end, I guess, kind of thing. Like, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so most locuses have most of those. Um, we're just writing one at the moment for our zine quest that doesn't have escape. So they have to resolve it to finish it, which is partly because it's designed as a one shot. So we didn't want to have loads of different possible endings. It makes it easier to write. It means we have to have less kind of like content in there and we can focus on having the content be good and quick. Right. Um, so yeah, um, it can be any of them. It's usually potentially both. And it kind of depends on what the characters end up focusing on doing. Okay. And how they respond to the mystery, I guess. So I guess um, just to sort of piggyback on what I had already said. So if I was going to use this in a game, uh, I think probably uh, for an escape sort of scenario, because I'm kind of a jerk when it comes to being a DMing, I would say that there's probably some object within. I'm going to use, use a house for both of these just because it's easier for me to yeah, conceptualize. Yeah. So there's some item in the house that is the center of this effect. And maybe it's a pair of eyeglasses. Maybe it's a child's doll or a toy or, you know, it could be like a, a jacket that was worn when the, someone was murdered, whatever the case may be. And if the players find this item, then whatever's causing them to be here will let them go. But what's happened is it the, the curse is manifested on that object and they just want to go someplace else so that they can spread this malice. So it's sort of the, the trick twist ending where, oh, I found these pair of spectacles uh, now we're able to leave the house, but the spectacles just wanted to go somewhere else because there's no victims now in this house. They want to go to a city and, you know, start another bad place. If it's uh, solving, coastal, you know, supernatural is the easiest one. You find the bones or you find the, the, the cursed object, you burn it, you salt it, you're good. Um, but I actually really like the one I'd come up with where 
the murder victim wants to their murderer to come to justice. So maybe you have like a, again, a campaign that goes along for a while and there's like these multiple political opponents. And maybe if it's even the one that you think is the one that you would support, you know, that doesn't seem to be overtly evil. Turns out they are the one who's like a psychopath and has been murdering people since they were very young. And you can solve this old murder 20 years past. And it was like their first time murdering someone. So you, you find evidence that the person that you actually thought was kind of the good guy or the good girl is the secret sociopath that's been murdering people, you know, off and on. And you solve their first murder that will lead to all the others and you can bring them to justice. Uh, Chris, can you think of any ways that you could bring this sort of event, if not specifically from their game, but just in this idea of maybe you could bring it into a game you might run? Yeah, I just kind of, while you were talking, was formulating kind of a concept. Bear with me, it's just a formula. Sure. See how it goes. Yeah, we're brainstorming here. Start the players off, you know, in a big house. The entire, you know, first game or whatever is in the house, and everything kind of keeps moving around, and they're getting frustrated as, you know, doors won't open because you know something's keeping them shut. Things keep moving around, and as the game goes, you keep giving them more and more clues until it's revealed they were actually the murder victims. They're stuck in the house but new tenants have moved in and they're the ones that are actually moving things around. And when they realize it's not actually really the location, it's just them. Then they have to figure out what to do after that. So Again, just spoilers for an old movie. Head. It's basically the others, the RPG. Uh, I've really seen that one. <laughs> is that what it is? I've never seen the others. Yeah. So totally spoiling the others. Uh, they were the ghosts the whole time. Yes. It's a good film. It's a good yeah. film. You should watch it. Yeah. <laughs> So again, and that's not to say what you came up with bad, but it's, it made a movie. So it's, it's a story worth telling. I definitely think it's a one shot sort of thing. My only fear there is how does it feel? Like what's the, the, the uplifting resolution to the, to the characters other than maybe they get to finally rest. Like they, their spirit gets to move on and maybe that's the, uh, the reward for figuring it out. Yeah. Or the murderer moved in. And they now get to have their justice moment. They, they turn into poltergeists and, and start wreaking yeah. havoc. Uh, so, Jack, you clearly have probably more experience with this. But other than the two we mentioned, without like you know spoiling something you're working on, can you give us maybe an example of an escape or a, a way to like win in one of these scenarios? Yeah, so um, I'm trying to think of one that isn't actually in the books <laughs> that we've written. Um so uh, one we did um, as a test session was a spaceship, a derelict spaceship, people get caught on. Um, and the main way to kind of escape from that spaceship was you had to get to the bridge, basically, and send a message to the one member of your crew that was in your ship and come, come and get us. Mm-hmm. Or you could get the engines working. Um because if you got the engines working, it, it challenged, it basically pulled you back into reality because the Locus itself was a derelict spaceship. So it couldn't cope with being a working spaceship. Gotcha. So you kind of like pulled yourself out as an escape. Um, and I can't actually remember what the resolution ending for that one was because it changed about eight times because we did it like several different times. Um, but it was... I think it might have been fixing the hull um, where there was, it had been um, subject to a pirate attack 
and um, you had to, if you fixed the hole, I think. Um, there was also a thing about saving an AI and stuff um, in that one. We also had some, um, try and think of any of the other ones we've done. A lot of the time, it's as simple as finding the right door to escape, mm -hmm. but finding the right door or unlocking it can be really hard. Sometimes it's about, um, so spoilers for the Eileen Moore one that I wrote, which is like a lighthouse-based one um, that's available on Itch at the moment. Um, part of the escape of that is about utilizing the light of the lighthouse because the monsters can't perceive you if you're in the light not in the light i think it's when you're in the light they can't see you so you have to use the light to get to the exit mm. but you also usually have to be in one of the upper layers um there's a whole thing about like how you cope with your own haunt and your guilt and stuff that determines what layer you're on things mm -hmm. um, but if you're in the lower layers there's usually not a way to escape um, like on Eileen Moore, you had to get to like the, the boat dock and in the lower layers, it just didn't exist. It was just a rocky cliff, like just jagged rocky cliffs, just not there. Um, and with that one, the healing that was about taking, uh, so, so the idea of that um, story was that the island was once a place of sort of guidance. It used to be a, a site of pilgrimage and then they built a lighthouse on it um and uh, it's actually very loosely based on a real story where um a bunch of lighthouse keepers just disappeared one night um really tragically they just disappeared um but basically the the story we wrote which is not based in reality obviously was that the the locusts ate them and the idea was that the building of the lighthouse meant that it the locusts kind of like lost its idea of what it was and you had to essentially take a sort of totem an emblem of the the pilgrimage days from the old ruined church and take it up to the lighthouse to kind of signify metaphorically that its old um role of a guidance was still applicable in the new lighthouse and that it was just changed slightly and it was about kind of like helping it to understand that trauma and move through it mm -hmm. um that was kind of like the metaphor that we ran with with that one for like how to fix it and most of the ones we've written are some sort of metaphor about dealing with trauma because that's kind of what creates a malice locus is some form of trauma sure. which can as you say be a murder like that's the really simple one a murder happens there and it causes trauma to the place right um, so yeah so there's some ideas from our game but i think I think the interesting thing is the concept of a place that is bad is not something that you have to play Locus for. Locus is specifically about telling scary stories and you don't have to make it a horror story. You can just make it a really cool adventure and you can use that concept with like the things you guys have come up with and the infinite other ideas you yeah. potentially um, come up with as well in, right. any, in anything. All right. Well, very cool. Well, hopefully, uh, as always, we'll throw it out to the audience. If you have any ideas or any you know examples of times you have played a game um, where the idea of a bad place uh, has come up, or just kind of story horror 
thriller top stories in general, that might be something you could share with us in the, in the comment section or reply on Twitter. Uh, but we're going to basically wrap up the show here. And we do that with our question uh, Q&A session, question and answer session. It looks like we do have a couple people watching, though I think I'm one of them. Uh, so if you have any questions for anybody on the show, uh, Jack specifically, uh, RPG related makes the most sense, but we can go off topic as well. Uh, please let us know. I know there's a little bit of a delay so while we're waiting for the audience to maybe catch up, Jack, uh, where could people find your game? Give us your socials and like any links. And uh, when it gets to the YouTube and the audio only, if you send me those links, I'll put them in the show notes. Uh, but where cool. can people go to check out um, your game or find you on Twitter at all, etc.? So um, I'm on Twitter at T Crusading, um, but also we have at Cobblepath is Cobblepath Games official Twitter. Uh, my Twitter has a lot more kind of like random stuff on it. The Cobblepath one is primarily news about what we're releasing and things. Um, if you want our games, uh, at the moment, Locus is the main thing that we've released. Uh, we're working on some other stuff, but um, Locus is available on both Drive-Thru and Itch. Um, we recommend going to Itch if you want it, but like it's it's on both. Just Itch is slightly better for us. Um, we, we want to support Itch. We think it's better for creators. Um, so we want to push people towards that. But if you don't like Itch or you or want to add it to your drive through thing, it is available on there. Um, if you type in Locus, uh, it should come up. If you type in Locus RPG in Google, it definitely comes up. Um, so, uh, yeah, like that's primarily where you get it. If you find us on Twitter, there's links all over our Twitter for it. We also have a website, uh, uh You can sign up for a mailing list there which will be like it's really really rare that we send stuff out on it but when we do it's like big announcements like kickstarter's live or this thing's released um and you can also send us a message through that or just dm us on twitter yep like, all of that is fine all right. Uh, so once again, again, if there's anybody in chat that would like to ask any of us uh, a question to wrap things up, please uh, throw it into chat now while we're still waiting a little bit longer. Chris, again, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter's easiest. Uh, Burlu underscore Chris. Uh, it's, I check it one spot every other day. I'm not super active on social media, but that's the easiest way to find me. All right. Uh, as for myself, almost everything I do can be found at the RPG Academy someplace, somewhere. So if you, if you search for the RPG Academy, you're probably going to find me. Uh, I'm most active on Twitter. I do check Facebook, but not a whole lot. Uh, and then I'll throw this out. Uh, we are starting a bi-weekly or fortnightly uh board game night through the TTS, uh, maybe some other things. So we've got a mailing list we're putting together. I posted it on today on my Twitter. It's a Google form. You just basically log in and say, yeah, I want to get the emails when you are going to play games and we'll send you an email. That's the only thing it's for. So we'll just tell you what game we're playing or what nights. Uh, we're going to try to do it every other Tuesday. This coming Tuesday will be our first official night. Uh, so probably seven or eight o'clock PM Eastern time, we're going to jump onto TTS or Tabletopia or one of the the three i think of the big three and play something uh again this will be more board games and role-playing games but if you want to play role-playing games join our discord because we're constantly setting up one shots and campaigns and stuff through there uh so unfortunately it doesn't look like we have any questions tonight for you jack but i appreciate you coming on i really appreciate you staying up uh best of luck with the game and uh just remember send me all those links and i'll make sure i put them in the show notes to make it easy for people to find because we had a, we, i think we had like five or six people at most tonight watching our youtube will get about the same but our audio only will have several hundred people listen to that so hopefully we'll get some people have their way 
Brilliant. Um, no, thank you for having me on. Really appreciate it. No, I thought you did great. great. I thought your game sounds very interesting. Uh, I, I do like the idea. I'm not the biggest horror fan, but I like horror elements and other types of games, but it's something I probably will yes. take a look at and hopefully we'll send a few people your way. Cool. All right. Thank you very much. Hi, Ellie. Yeah, yeah, Chris, you you may get a sale from him if no one else. So I'll look for the the stop button. Everyone do kind of an awkward wave out, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy. Or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.